0: This passage here is a, a doublet. We have a story that leads to a bit of teaching, uh, some a couple of parables, and there's a doublet of parables. The parables interpret the situation that's just happened and make a lesson of it lest we pass by it quickly. So this is not just yet another healing miracle. It's an important teaching time for the church to understand itself and you can see the scene in this synagogue Uh, and Jesus, we don't know which one it was and which Sabbath it was, but Jesus was teaching there and uh, lo and behold, it sort of says, it was quite obvious there was a woman there that had a disabling spirit and I've heard of stories like this today in the mission field in the Philippines a friend was talking about this same sort of spirit. A disabling spirit, and this is typical of Satan He likes to distort the human, the high point of God's creation. He likes to weigh down and oppress. And this this woman is bent over by the direct ministry of one of his uh, minions. And she's been like that, oppressed for 18 years, can't straighten up. She'd be known to everyone. Everyone would recognize her. And uh, in the middle of that uh, synagogue service or whatever it was, uh, Jesus sees her and he takes the initiative. She doesn't ask for anything. She doesn't ask to be healed. He sees her and he takes the initiative and announces that she is now free from her disability. And when he laid his hands on her, immediately she is made straight. She's reintegrated into the human community with dignity. That's the picture we have here. She is uh, back where she belongs, not as a uh, person who's subject to malevolent forces. And uh, everyone knows this woman. They know how she's always been in living memory. And then they see her functional. And so the whole synagogue is aghast at this. And uh, she gives praise to God for this it's a wonderful moment she glorifies God I bet that wasn't just a well thank you God (laughs) I bet she's effulgent with praise and right at that time I think something horrid entered the thoughts of the synagogue ruler now a synagogue ruler was sort of like a rabbi mixed with a mayor he sort of ran the show he had a judicial significance in that town, uh, that village, whatever it was. He had a lot of credit. And I think he didn't like the fact that this whippersnapper uh, young rabbi Jesus was getting all the attention. And he sees a fracture, a fissure in this moment that, that he can exploit. This has happened on the Sabbath so he finds a technical fault in this wonderful occasion. And he basically points out that uh, this can't be proper the way this has happened even though obviously God has released this woman. God Jesus has declared it to be so but God according to this fellow doesn't work Sabbath shifts and this can't be of God and he has a significant biblical warrant for that which would be Genesis 1 and the idea that God rests on the seventh day he doesn't create on the seventh day so you know but you see the problem here for him on the one hand he doesn't want to say it isn't a miracle on the one another hand he doesn't want to shut down the glorification of God Uh, On another hand, he doesn't want to take on Jesus and debate the point because this is a public setting and he could well lose and then lose all his honor rating, all his credit stock in front of people. He could be severely embarrassed. And so he zeroes in on the weakest link, the woman. And he attacks her, did you notice? Not Jesus. And he says that you could have come any other day of the week. You know, this is not the time to come. You shouldn't go about knocking on heaven's door on the Sabbath where God is taking his rest. Not now. Now, it's not a strong argument, it is, is it? Because heaven has declared its heaven's self through this action of glorification. It's not really going to stack up very well, but he had to find fault. It wasn't proper. But God's saving action is God's warrant for this thing to be proper. At which point Jesus sees straight through it and cones in with an immediate rebuttal. He actually calls this hypocrisy. Two faced note. You know, he says, You guys, you work and justify it on the Sabbath. You have a, an ox or a beast or a burden, it'll be tied up this woman's been tied up you don't hesitate to loosen it redeem it on the Sabbath that's what what you do out of compassion so it can eat on your way here probably half of you did that that's this morning loosened your beasts so they wouldn't be fretting and here we have not just a beast but a daughter of Abraham a member of God's covenant people And it's, it's, you're finding fault that after 18 years I have loosened her. What hypocrisy. I think Jesus would not have been, oh, really? (laughs) There's nothing Anglican about Jesus here. (laughs) (laughs) He's just going for it. And he, he hones in on this fellow and that could have been the end of it a big slap on the wrist and the service is over and bad feeling but jesus sees here a deeper issue it's a it's something that could really affect the church into the future and so he gives this doublet of two little parables to interpret what he's just done lest they forget and so these are for us to take these principles away and he tells these two parables. You know them so well, but you may not know them in this form because they are clear in a more simpler form elsewhere. He said, therefore, what's the kingdom of God like? Which is a way of saying, how do you recognize the presence of the reign of God? How do you what's What are the indicators of the reign of God? And to what will I compare it? Let me give you an illustration, he says. It's like the grain of mustard seed that a man took in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches and then he says and again he said to will I compare the kingdom of God. It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now when Jesus tells parables in doublets like that it's because the same principle so you don't misinterpret it. You can check that the same thing holds in the second parable. The same principle runs through the same dynamic. And it does here. Now, we probably know this parable. What the, the mustard seed one was one that he, he used teaching his disciples in Mark 4, one of his very first teaching sessions. But here, it's different. And the differences, the spin he puts on it here, relates to what has just happened and he changes it slightly and that's Jesus is a good preacher I mean he he uses the same illustration in different context if it fits but here he puts a dink on the old mustard seed and he adds to it this this leaven parable now we know what do we know if you compare then both are parables that begin with something small that then grows Or something hidden that then can't remain unhidden. Okay, it's that sort of dynamic. And both of them are saying that. And the kingdom is like that. That the kingdom, you know, you don't want to to despise the day of small things. It's like when I was doing some work at Kilsyth Baptist and I'm one of our fates one day and uh, uh, talking to a couple of the church founders. It's astonishing. At that church that's kicking along now begins with an idea in the minds of a couple of people who decide to have a Bible study in their lounge room. Uh, I remember my parents going to a Bible study in a house in Mount Waverley, which today is Waverley Baptist. And that, that sort of thing is how the kingdom happens. Never despise the day of small things. But that's not the point. <laughs> that's not what Jesus is saying in this situation. No one's despising the day of small things. That's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story relates to this ugly incident that's just happened in the synagogue. Now, you've got to understand that a synagogue was like a poor man's version of the Jerusalem temple. And the Jerusalem temple and its architecture was a symbol or was an architectural statement of the Garden of Eden. It was the ideal place where everything was in order and and everything was just as God designed it. God was the architect of the, the garden and the temple and therefore the synagogue. Now the spin that he is putting on this parable is that unlike Mark, where the gardener or just a man comes out and throws seed on the ground, Here this guy comes out and he throws mustard seed into an orderly garden. Now the people listening know that no gardener worth his salt would ever do that. That's not what a gardener does. Uh, A mustard seed is not only small, a mustard seed is noxious. A mustard seed, it's like when we moved into our place, our, our recent house, someone decided to have some quick growing variety plants and they threw oyster plant seeds. What happens with oyster plant is what happens with us mustard seed. They have a tubular um, root about that far under the surface. If you dig it up and you don't get it all, it produces more. (laughs) And it takes the hint that you really love it. (laughs) And off it goes, more vigorously. And come spring, mustard seeds just go boof, out of that plant, into the wind, and you get them everywhere. No self-respecting gardener, if they want order, would do that and would put a mustard seed in a garden. They're a weed. And Jesus is saying, you can pick who the gardener is. You can pick what the garden is. The gardener is God. The garden is Eden. The garden is the kingdom as god wanted it but jesus is saying that's the new garden it's full of noxious weeds wonder what the noxious weeds are and if you're not getting that parable he runs on to a second one and he goes on to a woman who doesn't know where to put her yeast now yeast is valuable you need it if you're going to cook bread and buns and what have you But you don't want it all the time, but you've got to find a place to store it. Guess where this ninny stores her yeast? She goes, I've got three buckets of flour, about a kilo each. I'll put a bit in that one, a bit in that one, a bit in that one. I've stored my yeast. (laughs) Now what? Now the flour is impure. Like even the Apostle Paul sees yeast as a metaphor for sin. And right the way through scripture, yeast is not something that you want in the flour. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, your are boasting, you Corinthians, is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little bit of unexposed sin contaminates a lot. So cast out the old leaven that you might be a new lump. That's a metaphor for holiness versus sin you've got to get rid of the leaven you don't store it in the flour but you see you know that that's the, that's the way Jesus tell, tells parables parables have got to have shock value where people start scratching their head they start thinking and Jesus wants them to see here that the kingdom of God is constructed out of materials which contaminate The kingdom of God is constructed from damaged goods. The mark of the true church is the presence of God redeeming the broken. Not just growth, but growth through the unimpressive. The fish that John West rejected are the fish that Jesus collects. And the church will never be the same again. You can't just have plain flour anymore. He disrupts the orderliness. That's the nature of this kingdom. Now this is a difficult lesson for the church. You know, it's just amazing. I was thinking that I could think of every church I've been part of as I started to realize I could take you through Jeff's scrapbook of mustard seeds. And when the church is at its best, God starts to gather and scatter his mustard seeds amongst the orderliness of the perfect little church. I can remember when I was in a country church, a church in which I had to grow up an awful lot. It was a tough gig. And uh, they'd had a conversion um, about five years before I came. In fact, uh, any Carlton supporters, the... The person who was converted was a nephew of the great Chitty, uh, Bob Chitty. It doesn't mean a thing. Anyway, um, and, uh, but it, it was amazing that this church was constantly praying for the district. Constantly in every prayer meeting they'd be praying for revival. You know, It was just every Wednesday night when we had prayer time, they'd be praying, Oh Lord, pour out your spirit. Oh Lord, reach the upper Maric. And long before behold, hold, a few of us got involved with the local footy team and the basketball comp where you know, everyone who played football played basketball. And, and we started to get in contact with a, a bunch of young fellows, some of them I taught in PE classes at, at the local high school. And, um, you know, they, they're ragtag kids, they're sort of from the lower parts of town, the housing commission buildings, and uh, none of them had a dad. It was the uh, commonality that they shared, and but we had a pretty good relationship going. And I thought at the end of uh, this particular year, why don't we get Youth Dimension? If you've heard of the Youth Outreach Organisation, they're still going. uh, Why don't we get Youth Dimension to come up here, and with our best youth leaders, we'll join in and we'll do an outreach, because there's not much happening for country kids across January in a hot Upper Murray summer. Got the scout hall, we used to mention came up. We had some musos, etc., Some pretty uh, attractive young women with an amazing song. And so all these kids rolled up to see the new talent. I don't think it was their love of music. And uh, that drew them in. And uh, so they came and lo and behold, half a dozen of them had a real soft spot for this gospel. They all took home two ways to live. They read it, they prayed the prayer and we told them in follow up that you are now part of the church so come along, you're always welcome. Now these are the sort of kids who'd never stepped foot in a church and didn't understand about protocol and orderly and thing. that central verse of scripture, do all things in decency and order, you know, you've got to go above the fireplace at home. And and they, they didn't understand about that, and they didn't, you know, the first time they saw the offering bags came around, they thought, what on earth? You know, Do we keep it? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, kids thought they'd announce the kids' talk. Well, we're kids, so they'd all go down with the littlies and sit at the front. And, uh, you know, bit by bit, we sort of had to explain the protocol. We had a couple of church founders who consider themselves pretty important people in the history of this church, and... The next Sunday, I distinctly remember them deciding to meet and greet. They set up their own little ministry to meet and greet these kids as they walked up from the housing commission end of town, came up the lawns of the church, which was the old doctor's surgery, a majestic old Gothic building. They're walking up in their black T-shirts with their cigarettes under their, their shoulders and the whole lot and the jeans tastefully torn. And as they came up this couple met them and before, well, I'm greeting people at the door before I could do anything they've basically said if you can't dress better than that to coming to God's temple best you don't come at all. And they never did again. Do you think I can get them back? We went into church that day and we saying, who is on the Lord's side who will serve the king who will be his helpers other lives to bring it's hypocrisy it's a tragedy when the church doesn't understand that the kingdom of God is constructed from these materials who'd have thought it that these kids the housies would want to come to church it's a miracle in our midst but uh, later I left and I went to a dignified missionary Baptist church with a long history it came I think in its hundredth year and um, you know again we we prayed not just for revival not just for the district. we prayed for the whole world we had the map with the the red wall and the pins and you know we haven't had someone in Greenland you know it was there it was and uh, Uh, I don't think that we did, actually. I think the youth group had put their pins in Greenland. But, um, you know, uh, we we were praying for people all over the world and we had 24 mission units we were supporting. Uh, It was, you know, quite astonishing, really. But then something happened in the local area, in the municipality, or a little bit down the road. The suburb of St Kilda sort of got rezoned. And it got regentrified, and a whole lot of the DOS houses and the really cheap accommodation that you wouldn't put a dog in, uh, was suddenly disappeared overnight, and all those people's people just had to come down the the railway line a couple of steps to our suburb where we had heaps of those old twin pack six, accommodation uh, flat blocks, double flat blocks, you know. They went up uh, in, the, in the late 50s and 60s, cheap as anything, and a lot of them were there and they're quite empty. But the sort of people who came down <coughs> uh, were emotionally challenged people, largely <coughs> people who are a mixture of... They fell through the cracks because they're both schizophrenic and drug users. I can remember one of the lanes round behind the gardens in our area <coughs> going down it as I got to know some of these people from just, you know, Inhabiting the same pie shop, <laughs> and uh, I remember uh, getting to know someone. They said, "Oh, you ought to come and round and visit my mum and dad." And I said, "Oh, they? You're still living at home?" No, we all live together. And even their mum and dads were schizophrenic folks. They've been classified. And, and down this street, everyone in this whole laneway was either a drug user, drug dependent, or a schizophrenic. It was an astonishing little place. But I've been astonished how. When people hit rock bottom, they get religion. And they get all the cynicism. These people didn't watch ABC. They knew life was a little bit more real than the theorists were telling us. And they'd come along into our church, and uh, there were all sorts. We had the bag lady with uh, multiple plastic raincoats on. We had a fellow who I'd known at university who'd got out of prison because uh, he'd had a psychotic episode and hatcheted his parents to death. I'd be preaching like this and I had to make sure I would never use rhetorical questions. I wonder why Jesus did that because up they'd pop and say, oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And it's hard to get the service back. (laughs) And I had, it was fascinating at that time, I remember after one of these days, and I just thought, it's extraordinary. We've got a new ministry happening on our doorstep here. The secretary, the prayer secretary of our missions group came to me disturbed this morning and she said, I can remember her words, Jeff, you've got to do something. I said, you're done right, we've got to do something. She said, we can't have people like that coming here. The missions committee had been praying for the world And the world came to our doorstep and then she couldn't see that that was a miracle that people like that would want to come to a conservative missionary church. It was a miracle of grace and then one Sunday we used to preach in the middle with the aisle just like here and we had these two swinging doors at the back of the church made out of glass. Who was the architect who designed that? You know, it was deadly <laughs> and, uh, and uh, all of a sudden these doors are thrust open and this woman who I knew uh, and who was quite disturbed had a very uneven gait and it was always tilting with her mixture of substances. And she started walking. She'd never been to a church in her life and she started walking towards me. I was the only person in the building she knew and she started walking towards me and I thought, this is interesting. I think I'll just wind this sermon up a little early today and she's walking towards me and starts yelling. And I couldn't quite work out what she's saying until she got to about where the cameras are here and she said, I've lost my baby. I lost my baby last night. She had a missed And then she goes and she sits, we had our musicians always sat on the front pew. She goes and sits straight on top of these girls. Doesn't even notice. And they're all, you know. And she's tears running down her face. And I thought, that's a miracle. That in her moment of anguish she would think to come to a church for care. And we stopped everything. And I said, i bet you could use a cup of tea. And a couple of women hopped up and embraced her, lifted her and took her across to the servery and got her some brekkie. You know, we didn't even have a schizophrenic column on the roster. They did it spontaneously. It was interesting that in that service, there was a woman who had started coming to our church because of a funeral I did of an old boyfriend of hers. He was a top brass policeman. That's another story again. And uh, she'd started coming along and she couldn't get over this and she was very skeptical about our bona fides. You know, what are we on about? She'd never heard words like grace, justification, salvation she thought Christianity was about moralism being right-wing didn't understand any of that and then one day she's sitting there she saw this little enacted parable it wasn't a month later that that woman was baptized in our church and when I asked her What was it that finally made the penny drop? It was that she could see with her own eyes that our faith really was real because it was a reflex action to the unlovable, to the damaged and the forgettable. She was not impressed with the quality of our musicianship which was superb With our skits or with my sermons, she was impressed by 3D Christianity that she had seen. She wrote articles in The Age. She was a Brighton socialite. And then she herself became a mission to all her socialite friends in Brighton. I can remember being taken by her in her leopard skin attire, (laughs) gold lame shoes, to a soiree for her art critic friends. And she just clapped her hands and stopped all the stuff and all the people holding their little wine glasses and she said, excuse me, I'd like to introduce you to my pastor, Jeff. Now, as you know, my daughter thinks I'm a proper... There's another word. And, uh, but I believe I have changed. Now, Jeff will explain why. Go, Jeff. if it hadn't been for the schizophrenic the creme de la creme would never have heard the gospel you can see that the gardener knows what he's doing when he scatters mustard seeds in his garden We've got to ask ourselves in our hearts, are we ready for him to scatter his mustard seeds in our midst? In fact, there probably are some already because it's his desire that we be that sort of church that takes those who are distorted by Satan. My goodness, his work is real in our society today and he stands them up again with dignity, that's when you know you're in the presence of Jesus. We just simply need to be ready to recognize the moment. May God bless you. As he entrusts you with his most precious and fragile people, can he trust you to bring those people here let's pray our Lord and our God we thank you that we are the same made of the same stuff as these people but we also thank you that you are the same Jesus Christ today that you were in this incident and Lord Jesus, we don't want to be just a successful st- church in terms of the stats, in terms of being able to balance budgets, in terms of the architecture, but we want this to be the sort of messy church where people really get helped, where they get saved and where they get established in the faith. Trust us, Lord, with those that you are drawing to yourself yourself through our lives, our friendships, and even through the doors themselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.